Michelle. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 146. And Happy New Year! Different year, same shit. I'm still binging stuff on Netflix. My newest thing that I binged in a day was that Bridgerton. It's like a period piece. It's like Pride and Prejudice. But if you like period pieces, it's for you. Okay. It is for you. And the Duke is a hot if you liked Pride and Prejudice and you had that one moment where when Mr. Darcy helps her up on the carriage and then he like stretches out his hand afterward and it's like, because he likes her. And then it's like, oh my God, you know that part where it's like, I don't remember it. Oh my God, my heart swells everything. And I'm like, there is a hand moment in this one. And I was like, I think it almost rivals the Pride and Prejudice moment. But you know, like, in real life, Jane Austen didn't get the guy, which is why she writes that. That's all I can think of in yeah. my brain. And so I'm like, oh, she didn't really get Mr. Darcy. You yeah. I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, I can't get, I have a hard time getting on board with it because I know, like, in real life, that didn't actually happen. Yeah. Ruin it for everyone, Carrie. Well, life's a fucking bitch. Hello, if 2020 taught us nothing. Very true. But you know who made the most out of 2020? Oh, I know. Patrioters! No, me, but okay. We can say them. And it, you know what? It's not always about you, Donna. <laughs> right now, it's about Tiffany A. from Colorado. It's about, oh my God, this girl. Look, why do I always make someone a radio DJ? But her name is Katie K. from WA. I am just saying. But it's Katie K. from Washington. Shout out. I mean, that's like a legit... Katie K from WA, you should be a, that should be a thing. <laughs> Jessica R from California. Elena B from New York. Anthony D from Louisiana. Aaron K from New York. Are y'all neighbors? <laughs> no. That's so my mom. She'd be like, hey, do y'all know each other? <laughs> Jared B from Utah. And Deb W from Arizona. Also, Deb, can you, do you go by Deb Dub? Because if you don't, you should. Like that should be a username somewhere. Maybe on Discord. Did you join? Because y'all can. What else can they do, Carrie? I mean, they can do an intro to a Sinister Sightings. They had all kind of fucking bonus content. Like, literally an episode a fucking week. Yeah. So that's three episodes. Two normal, one extra. Mm-hmm. Plus a Facebook Live with us. I mean, I don't know if you really want that, but you get it anyway. Who? Sometimes we're 30 minutes early. You never know. Sometimes we go on for two hours. You never know. But if you want to get in on all of these shenanigans, look, it's 2021. Dip your toe in. Check it out for a month. Just peruse it a bit. (laughs) You get all the back content, so you may as well. Head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Also, I'm still playing that PC game, Phasmophobia, and I just want to say, Carrie, it's a whole new year and I'm still playing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But it hasn't been a full month. Almost. Mm -hmm. But you thought it was only going to be like a week. Yeah, but that's before I knew you paid for it. I think I'm only doing it because I enjoy the people I do it with. Like if it was not like team related, I would have stopped. Like if it was just me doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you are having fun. Nothing really new with me. Same old, same old. We had a good Christmas. It was uh, mine and Colby's first Christmas together. So that was fun. Well, second technically, but like really first, you know. 
Yeah, first that you're like in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. First one's like, you're still like learning like favorite colors and shit. Yeah. At that point. Because they got together in December last year. So it was a good Christmas. But that's really all that's new with me. Well, hopefully y'all had a great holiday and uh, those Yule lads didn't come see you or the cat or um, whatever that lady's name was, the ogre person. (laughs) You know, the story I did that I don't remember. All I remember is the Yule lads, of course. I'm not surprised. You like the boys. Well, all right. First of the year, and we're taking a trip to Mineral Wells, Texas. Well, there's a haunted house there, and it shares its moniker with the movie and a Netflix series, The Haunted Hill House. Mm. Mm-hmm. The house is pretty creepy, and just looking at it, it gives you that foreboding feeling of unease, and it definitely looks old and unkempt, but not abandoned or dilapidated. It's just an older home, and you can see its age. And not only age, but before it became what it is today, a paranormal hotspot, it went through many transitions that's believed to be the cause for the at least nine residential spirits who lurk in the shadows of the house. So picture it. Mineral Wells, Texas, 1892. Fanny Yeager Kyle built this beautiful house at 501 Northeast First Street. It's two stories around 3,000 square feet, and it sits on like one and a half acres, and it's like butt up against a hill, like hence the name. She lived there with her sister until she passed away in 1924, and like so many stories, this house started out filled with love and family, and there's so many stories of Fanny being super charitable because she was of higher class, and of means, but she wanted to give to those who were less fortunate, but not out of duty, but out of love. However, four years later, in 1928, there was a hotel that opened up right up the road, and this is after she's passed away, obviously, four years after. The hotel is 14 stories tall. It can hold 450 guests, and it's going to be the place to be. And remember when I talked about Eureka Springs, Arkansas a bit back and how the waters were thought to be healing, and so it was kind of a tourism magnet? Well, same with Mineral Wells. It's located just west of Fort Worth, and it was famous for its mineral spring water. It, too, became quite a popular destination, just like Eureka Springs did during the early 20th century, And this hotel, known as the Baker Hotel, was where everyone was going to stay while they took their health and their fate into their own hands and tried to heal themselves in the supposed healing waters. And I just want to say, in the next episode, I am going to be covering the Baker Hotel because it's haunted as fuck too. But for this one, I'm easing into the new year, so we're starting with the Hill House. So what does this hotel have to do with the Hill House? Well, that loving family home became a seedy playground for the wealthy visitors who stayed at the Baker Hotel, but the ones, you know, who needed more privacy. But it wasn't only for men who wanted to indulge in their sexual appetite at the brothel. The house was the perfect, discreet location for 
bootleggers during Prohibition, and gambling was, of course, present in the house as well. There's actually a little hidden room that they believe was used for bootlegging and that they would give the bottles to the kids who would then transport them via their bikes to the hotel. And seriously, it's like right up the street. But the police never suspected that the kids would be involved in the transportation of alcohol. But like always, where nefarious things are happening, there's bound to be some bad apples who take the debauchery to a whole different level who are actually evil. And there's rumored to be several deaths that occurred in the Hill House. And one death is rumored to have occurred on the stairs. Now, they are only rumors because there's no documentation that's been discovered yet. However, it happened at a brothel slash casino slash bar. Everything was illegal. Everything was off the books. And we all know that things that, you know, blemish society kind of were swept under a rug. And like if a dead body was found in this brothel, you wouldn't want that known. So it's kind of like, hey, maybe take that body somewhere else. And it's not discovered here at this house. That kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, I could make a reason for anything because I believe all this shit. But I'm just saying. Okay. And then in the 1970s, it said that a cult moved in, or a family who were members of a satanic death cult moved in. But also, let me say, I'm not saying because these people were Satanists that they were bad people or anything, because that does not make you a bad person. It's a religion, whatever. But Jack Osborne on Portals to Hell, he said, like, he said it best because he was like, my dad always was rumored to be a Satanist. He wasn't, but like, whatever, like, why is that a bad thing? It's not. But he was like, you know, to each their own. But if they're doing bad shit, then it's not okay. And like, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, a death cult sounds like a bad shit. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, then the house was abandoned. But then a lovely couple, Phil and Kim Kirchhoff, purchased it. They were looking for a restoration project. And this seemed perfect. But they didn't know about the house's history. They just saw this old home with perfect bones. But then they were blindsided with the skeletons in the closet. (laughs) The first time they ever heard any whisper of ghost or it being haunted was when they first cleaned out the house and had an estate sale. So the neighbors came to look inside the home and such. You know, they're curious, of course. And they each had a story to tell. Well, Phil is an anthropologist and a computer analyst, so he is very much into science. The idea of ghosts didn't really threaten him or anything, and he half-believed what people said. But then he felt things, heard things, saw things, and now he said he will never balk at anyone again if they say they have a ghost story to tell. The restoration project was never completed, and they were scared to even be alone at the property day or night. Phil said that the ghosts would come all hours of the day. He was quoted in the Dallas News as saying, The house is as wacky in the middle of the day as it is at night. They never lived in the home, and they said they never will, which they held true because they ended up selling the house later. And Catherine and Sonny Estes bought the home, and they did know of the hauntings. But Catherine has a history of being sensitive 
dating back to her childhood because she could see spirits. She would have dreams with basically premonitions of family members' deaths. So she was interested in this and Phil didn't want to sell it to anyone who was going to bulldoze it or do anything that wasn't like mm, not honoring the ghost, but like, you know, he didn't want to disturb the ghost more or be disrespectful to the ghost. Okay, so with them, we're going to talk about the hauntings. It said that four classic haunting styles are here. Intelligent, residual, poltergeist, and demonic. People have been bitten, scratched, pushed. There's bangs, sounds of broken glass, EVPs, out the wazoo, all the classics. And then, you know, the not-so-classics, like actually being injured, like being bitten and scratched. So I'm going to break down some of the rooms and then some of the prominent ghosts. On the first floor, there's a carousel room. And it gets its name from a small toy carousel that was in that room of the house when they bought it. And people get headaches and then they feel nauseated when they attempt to operate it or even when they just hold it. On the episode of Portals to Hell, this is the room where Kathy said that she had located the pentagrams that were on the floor. And so she like showed the camera and you can see, like she said, she tried to, you know, like get them up, she tried to buff them out. And you can still see like the small pentagrams that were carved into the ground. Next is the front bedroom. And this is where a demon named Toby loves to hang out. (laughs) Supposedly. On Portals to Hell, Sonny, Kathy's husband, he showed video evidence of what they believed to be Toby looking at them through like a crack in the door. And he said that Toby again, is one of the negative energies. They believe that he was possibly, like, conjured up by the cult. They ask, like, his name and whatever, and he clearly said, Toby. So they're like, okay. Sidebar, this has literally nothing to do with your story. Mm-hmm. Other than demon, devil. Have you seen the new Match.com commercial? Mm-mm. It's so fucking funny. It is the devil... Like, like the devil, mm-hmm. he goes on a blind date to meet 2020 and they like fall in love and they go to all the, do all this thing, like all these things with like nobody there. And like they go by all, like go steal all this toilet paper, like all this stuff together. Really? <laughs> it's her match.com. What the fuck? It's so funny. <laughs> what the fuck? It's so stupid, but so funny. No, I haven't seen that. I don't I don't see a lot of uh commercials, so I miss all the good stuff. See, well we only have Hulu Live, so we don't we can't fast forward through them. Mm. And then there's this room called the Scratcher Room, and this is where the gambling like parlor was. And so they have some like tables still set up and like just some cards out, you know, whatevs. And this is a room, obviously, where people have been scratched the most or bitten. And Kathy said that she believes that the person who ran all the illegal activities, his name was Willie Lester. He's the one who is still in that room, and he's the one who attacks the people. Then the final room on the bottom is the Shadow Man room. Obviously, it is a shadow person, and it appears in front of people and has previously 
bitten people if they sat on the bed in this room. And something else about the shadow man, Susan Hill was doing an investigation at this house and she was inside with three others and she said that they were, you know, investigating. And so she wanted to show them how to do dousing rods and that it would point you where you need to go. Well, they pointed for them to go outside. And so when they went outside, they pointed to go to the RV. Well, the shadow man has been seen in the RV by Kathy and Sonny. So she was like, look, like she said out loud, Susan said out loud, we're not going to the RV. So they just like kept going. Well, as she walked past the RV, she heard the door latch pop and the door open. Oh, God. And so she was like, okay, well, let me make sure like no one's in there because she said it out loud. So if someone is in there, they might have been like, ho, 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 you know, and there's no, there's an actual person like living in the RV and you think it's a ghost. Mm-hmm. Well, the RV was empty and she checked the latch and it was very stable. It was hard to open. And she was like, good one, Shadow Man. Good one. Because he did get her to go to the RV. And then, okay, so upstairs, it has two rooms. And this is where more of the bad vibes come in. Toby's room and Joshua's room. Kathy doesn't even go upstairs because of the feelings that she gets. She's so overwhelmed. So I mentioned that Toby does chill out downstairs too. But like his headquarters is upstairs. So in Toby's room, Sonny and Kathy said that the previous owners told them that this is a room where the seances were held and like the rituals were held. Well, their investigation led them to the spirits and they told them about like negative energies that were just in that room. And Sonny was telling Jack and Katrina on Portals to Hell that the first time he entered this room, he felt like he was getting hit by like a ghost two by four, like on the back of his head. And then like heat and pain just like overcame him from the back, like just enveloped him. And so he was just like, this, this room like holds really like bad memories for me. Then Joshua's room. So he is a very prominent spirit and he's a little boy. He's believed to have died when he was six years old. He was born different and deformed. He was thought to have webbed hands and feet and maybe developmental disabilities. So he was locked away. Hmm. Supposedly, his mother was Elizabeth, and she was the niece of Willie, you know, the owner of the casino club brothel thing. And, well, Willie had relations with Elizabeth, you know, by force because he is allegedly a piece of shit. Mm. And some say that she was a sex worker there. Not sure if by choice. Probably not. Either way. Yeah, either way. But I'm just saying probably not if he's forcing relations with her. Like, I don't know. Well, obviously, Willie was not a great guy. And just, you know, for the cherry on top, he was extremely abusive and beat Joshua and Elizabeth, and he, like, was hitting Joshua and, you know, like, abusing him, and Elizabeth went to protect him, and that's when she died, and then he killed Joshua. Gosh, that's so sad. Again, this is alleged because we don't know for sure, but 
they say that she was like going down the stairs and that's that one death I talked about earlier. So they call her the lady in blue and it is thought to be Elizabeth, that spirit that lurks on the stairs. Another spirit is also a young child, an eight-year-old boy named Jacob, who was also born to one of the sex workers. He was allegedly found outside the house, hanging from a tree in 1940. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Catherine said that according to one of the older people in the neighborhood, he said that he would come over and play when he was a little kid, and like he remembered that happening to that little boy. But again, there's no documentation of this. In Jacob's room, Catherine said that there was this girl, and she was kind of provoking him. And she was like, I'm a woman. What are you going to do to me? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, you're a little boy. And she got pulled hard and, like, yanked off the bed. Well, then Catherine and Sonny were telling the next group about it. And the guy comes in about an hour later, and he's like, oh, you want to mess with the women? Well, then the spirit pushed him into two girls and then slammed the door. So, like, Jacob's room is uh, active. Also, hey, like, don't taunt a kid, okay? Another child ghost is believed to be a nine-year-old girl named Madeline who died on the front porch after she was hit by a car in the 80s. Then there's a well on the property that's been sealed up, but they've captured an EVP of a child's voice saying, Mommy, help me. Come find me. That's just so freaking sad. Then on a YouTube video series called Strange Town, they cover and investigate the house. Well, when they're using the ovulus in the scratcher room, they start to communicate and they're like, do you want to talk to us? And it's like, hi. And then they ask its name and it says Tom. Well, there are thought to be some spirits named Timmy or Tim from the bootlegging days. So maybe the same spirit. I don't know. And then something touched one of the guy's legs. I don't know their names. And then there was like a cold spot right in front of him when he was sitting at the table like he was going to play poker. The more he tried to communicate, the more he got touched. And he said that like the cold just kept coming. And then there was like this cold rush through his body multiple times. And they like zoomed in on his arms. And you could see like he had some fucking chill bumps. Like... I have been there lately, boy, but like, who? Like, say. it wasn't, it wasn't just like, oh, chills. And there's like, okay, cool. No, 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 no. It was like that bone chilling. Oh my God. Like, one, do you have to shit? That kind of chill bump? <laughs> or like, dude, you cold. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it was that. And I was like, okay, I believe you on that. However, some of the EVPs that they were saying they had, I was like, Okay, I am a believer, but I cannot understand that. Like, you are telling me something, and even you telling me that it said that, I still don't hear it. Because usually, if they say, that said blueberry, I'm like, oh, yeah, it did say blueberry. You know, because they just mm-hmm. tell you, but it's like, no. The power of suggestion. Uh-huh, not on this. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what they said. Yeah. But I am going to check out more of their, like, locations that they went to. Obviously, because, like, I like this location, but and I've never heard of their little series. Yeah. Also, when Phil was the owner, he had to fix some frozen pipes, 
And when he was doing it, he found this whole bathroom that had been walled up and sheetrocked over, basically. Well, I found a Facebook post from the Haunted Hill House in 2018 where they were doing this live event from this bathroom. So they had a little more information about it. And they said it was sealed up over 75 years ago. And there were also some strange things such as a bullet hole in the toilet tank. What? And some blood splatter on it too. So I don't know about that, but also, what? And what allegedly took place in this bathroom, according to psychics, is that it was a murder-suicide. After a woman named Priscilla murdered her husband, she died by suicide in the bathroom. And she is described as the lady with the torn dress. And she's missing her lower jaw and like she's got like really thin hair and balding. I'm going to finish talking about the Portals to Hell episode though, because I really kind of sprinkled that in, but like I did watch that. So something I'm sure Carrie is going to roll her eyes out and therefore Creep Mom too, probably at the same fucking time. But on Portals to Hell, Jack and Katrina, they meet up with Martha Decker, who's a resident of Mineral Wells. And she was a detective, but now a paranormal investigator and a private eye. She's also writing a book about the Hill House. So she's doing a lot of research and everything about it. Well, as part of her research, she did find a former resident who lived there about 10 years ago. Well, she's a daughter of the people who are the alleged Satanist. Again, her like identity is shrouded in mystery. You know, like we don't know. They like changed her voice and everything. But she said that she grew up in the house while her parents were heavily involved in the satanic rituals. And she said that one time that she snuck up on the second floor, which is now Toby's room, like, you know, that's what I had called it. She saw her parents and she was like looking at something and she said that it looked like human fingers. (gasps) And her parents were like, oh my God, you're seeing things, you know, like it's not really there. You're a kid, whatever. And it's like, no, that looked like fingers. Right. But she went on to say that they were the ones who conjured the demon Toby and had bound him to the house. But again, I don't know. Anonymous is very hard with that. You know, like, because is it true? I don't know. Yeah. Well, one of the big things that you can see on the episode is Katrina is very apprehensive about everything. And she just seems weary about the whole shebang going down. Another thing is both Jack and Katrina noted how strange it was that the house was super quiet. No natural sounds. And it's an old fucking house, but there's no creaks, no, like, anything. So if you hear something, it's, one, noticeable, two, not normal. It's not like, oh, the house is settling. No, you don't hear that. It's eerily quiet. Jack went on to experience, like, random tired spells every time he would enter the scratcher room. But he would be, like, energized again the moment he stepped out of the room. But, like, he was literally, like, laying there, and it was like, oh, my God, he's going to pass out. It was like Dorothy and the fucking poppies on Wizard of Oz. (laughs) When they were upstairs, they were, like, they weren't taunting, but they were kind of like, okay, we need to know 
if this is intelligent, if this is going to, you know, even acknowledge us, whatever. And so they were talking. Well, then they heard a loud bang on the wall, but they both describe it as being one, if not the loudest bangs they've ever heard during an investigation. So soon after that, still upstairs, but this time in Joshua's room, Jack and Katrina are there and Katrina's just feeling very overwhelmed and odd and just not herself. Well, Jack took two pictures just like, just randomly, like, I'm just going to take two pictures and just see, because she's feeling so weird, like, I'm just going to take two pictures. And it literally was like, click, click. Well, when they're reviewing it the next day, one of them has this like weird little mist and you can see two red glowing orbs. And he was like, I mean, if it is paranormal, you could say those were eyes, but it's only in one picture. And he literally just click clicked. Like it wasn't like he waited or turned or anything. Yeah. Well, Katrina and Jack concluded that if anywhere was a portal to hell, it was certainly Hill House. They both even told Kathy and Sonny, like, to be careful how they navigate around the house, who they let in. Like, hey, you might not know, but maybe someone's using a Ouija board. Maybe someone's doing this. Like, you say not to, but if you're not here, you don't know. And, like, the presence is really, really bad here. And Katrina was like, I believe whatever demonic presence is in this house is malicious and can easily read people's thoughts. Because at one point she was like, I have to go outside. Like, and Jack was like, are you okay? And she was like, come outside. I'll tell you if you leave the house. Damn. Yeah. And Jack like looks at the crew member and he's like, I've never seen her like this. And they're like, she's pretty level headed. Yeah. And so she's like, no. And she was like, I mean, I know it knows we're talking right now, but we have to like regroup and change. Like, I don't know. And it was just like, damn. So it wasn't even like, whoa, it's a lot of stuff. It was just more like, no, that's the kind of like energy that sucks you dry and like, that's when they can, like, possess you and stuff. Yeah. That's what that seemed like. And so that's what was, like, super scary. Like, no, that seems real then. Like, that seems like the start of all of my possession stories. So I don't know. Very, very weird and scary. And I don't know. But um, I know we have some local Texas people and uh, I need to know if y'all have been there. And after COVID, I want to go. There's so many fucking places. Our list is getting so damn long of places to go after COVID. I know. I know. That was a good story. I had never heard of it. Mm-mm. Or the Baker Hotel, which is a lot. So I'm, I'm excited for next next week. little teaser for you. There you go. Well, since... Since Willie was the gambling type, you see my demon Toby, and do you raise or do you fold? Well, I raise you another house of horrors. Oh, gosh. My story this week came from an idea sent in the Facebook group by Sandy R. So, picture it. We're going to go to Dodge City, Kansas, circa 1977, just to start. All right. 
Reginald Carr meets Janice. Reginald is 17 and Janice is 16. They fall in love and Janice gets pregnant, but Janice's mom does not like Reginald. And she is like, I am not signing for y'all to get married. Like, you are just going to have, I'm not, like, I'm not signing. So they had to wait until Janice turned 18 to get married. But in 1977, they had their first child, Reginald Jr. Is there an RJ Cola? RC Cola. Okay, sorry. Bye. Then shortly after that, they had their second child, Regina Carr. Okay, and then shortly after that, can you guess what the third, it's a son. Can you guess what the third child's name is? Reginald the third? Nope, Jonathan. The fuck? Man, the third kid. So basically, they had three kids under the age of three. And Reginald Sr. and Janice were basically kids themselves. I mean, at this point, they were probably 21 and 20 years old with these three kids. But they were doing a pretty good job. They had a normal life. They were working really hard to give the kids a normal life. I think that Reginald was working at like a power plant or something like that. Like, they had a good life. My mom and my dad were young when they had my first two, my first two, my two oldest sisters. But my cousins, my dad's nieces and nephew, they were like my sister's ages. Mm -hmm. So they all grew up like they were brothers and sisters. They did not know they were cousins until way later. Like they didn't understand that my my dad was their uncle. They're like, no, that's my brother. Like they, they didn't understand all of that. When I was down there picking up food uh, in Mobile, they were talking about like the good old days about my mom and everything. And they were saying how their their days would be spent being on like the hood of her like Maverick and her and my Aunt Francine. They would just be riding all of the kids. So it was four kids, no, five kids. And they would all be sitting on the hood of the car down roads and then when they'd see like cans on the side of the road they'd hop off and get them and stuff like that then there was this like hill that people would go to and then slide down it with a cardboard box but uh it went on to oncoming traffic so you had to like stop really soon oh my god the 70s man right right i'm like well when i was little my mom me and my brother would chase ambulances because she had the the police scanner that, you know, that scared yeah. you that time that you spent the night. <laughs> yes. Oh, I remember fondly. Yeah. We did everything from the comfort of our car. Nothing. We never got out. Mm-mm. I had to smash cans, but uh, we didn't collect them like that. Mm-hmm. I definitely couldn't sit on no hood. No, it's too fucking hot. You know that burned their ass. Oh, my God. Mobile heat. Uh-uh. uh-uh. But anyway, but it was just so funny. Like, yeah, they were all young. That's what they did. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Well, and they had no idea what to do. Like, no. seriously, my mom was 18 when she first had Lori. So, like, in her early 20s, Aunt Francine was the same, you yeah. know, just a little older. And so they were just like, we got five kids, and my dad and my uncle were offshore. So they were just like, let's do something to tire their asses out. Yeah. And make money. Okay, I want to say something that kind of annoyed the fuck out of me. This whole story was on a couple of different podcasts, TV shows, all the things. And the family's black. And a lot of the 
stuff when it would talk about the background would be like the parents were they were doing everything they could blah blah they went to church they lived in a good neighborhood they blah blah and I'm like would you say that if they were white like would you be like they lived in a good neighborhood like you wouldn't say that I feel like no I don't know it really annoyed me yeah that is annoying and just because you go to church doesn't mean anything no it does not fucking mean a damn thing my takeaway is they were young and they were doing a really great job as young people. Yeah. But everything changed because tragedy struck. When Regina was two, she was diagnosed with leukemia and passed away, which you can imagine was completely devastating for the family. Jonathan, who was the youngest, had a more typical reaction and The oldest son, Reginald Jr., who we're going to call Reggie through the rest of the episode, he was a bit more of a stoic, unemotional reaction. And that's when the family kind of started showing some of its cracks. The parents began to ignore the boys and turn to substance abuses to self-medicate as a way to cope with Regina's death. Janice and Reginald ended up getting a divorce, and the boys and their mom moved in with their grandmother and basically had to fend for themselves. Reginald ended up completely abandoning the boys and moving away and getting a whole nother life with a whole nother family, and again, just completely abandoning Janice and the boys. Janice did the best that she could, again, self-medicating through various substances And was just not there for the boys. Reggie became almost like a father figure for Jonathan. And they developed this extremely close bond that was unbreakable. They started drinking together in elementary school. They would mix Kool-Aid and wine. Like that just shows how young they are. It shows they got good taste. That sounds amazing. Can you imagine what that did to their brain development? No. I mean, like, we have drinking ages for a reason because of brain development. So can you imagine what it did to their brain in elementary school? Okay, so this next part, I don't all the way understand the mechanics of this, but I'm not going to really try to understand even though I really want to because it's just how my brain works. But when Reggie was six years old, he started basically molesting kids that his mom babysat. And then when he was seven, he started to have sex with one of his cousins regularly. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that seven-year-olds could have sex. But, like, when I was seven, I thought sex was literally just laying naked with someone. Like, that was, in my brain, that was actual sex in in my seven-year-old brain, you know? There were some allegations that Reggie had been sexually abused in the past, but there wasn't really anything to back it up. But I feel like if he knew enough at this age to be engaging in this type of behavior, there had to have been something. Six and seven? Yeah. There had to have been something. I don't know what it was, but something. So clearly we can see how Reggie is managing his anger over his sister's passing and literally his world shattering and changing meanwhile jonathan is internalizing his in a more depressive state 
And he attempts to die by suicide at the age of seven. Oh my gosh. By hanging. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I've never even, I mean, so again, the boys were literally just left to fend for themselves. They had no instructions of basic life skills, especially about how to cope. Because you know what? Again, their mother was a child herself and she did, her only understanding of coping was through drugs as well, which brought in violence. And by the time Reggie was 11, he was starting to like hold drugs for his mom. And by the time he was 13, he was dealing drugs for his mother himself. Oh my gosh. So in their teens, Reggie had been, you know, he had a lot of arrests here and there for theft, that kind of thing. When Jonathan was 16, he attempted suicide again, this time by drinking antifreeze. I mean, antifreeze is a very horrible way to die. I mean, I mean, painful way to die. Well, you hate to hear where, well, and I've never known anyone whose pets had that, but you know, people would always say. Yes. Like, they're like, I left antifreeze out for the like neighborhood cats or you know what I mean? Yes. And like that would make my stomach hurt so bad. And, yes. Like, my heart hurt. And just to know that someone willingly took that mm-hmm. and willingly in quotations, because we understand that the psychological, yeah, all that behind it is, yes, we get that. But to, for you to be at that point to do that, like, oh my gosh, like for, I mean, and this to be your second attempt in less than 10 years. That's so sad. And as a 16-year-old, you know, this is not like he's a 50-year-old who's lived this traumatic 50 years of life. He's a 16-year-old that's lived a traumatic 16-year life, you know? Yeah. When it came to punishments, because it said that there was physical abuse in the household, and when it came to punishments, Janice would make the kids strip completely naked for their whippings. Not only that, she would make the other sibling hold them down. So, like, if it was Jonathan's turn to have a whipping, Reggie would have to hold him down and vice versa. So, you can see this is right here is how people start blurring the lines of pain and punishment with sexual pleasure. Which is why you create people like these brothers by involving this. And I don't mean in the BDSM way. I mean in the shit you're about to hear way. When Reggie was in eighth grade, he was suspended for sexually harassing a teacher. When he was 13, he became a gang member. And when he was in ninth grade, he beat up a teacher. Yeah. One time when they were kids, well, I think this happened more often than just once, but they would go like with their BB guns and go shoot animals. And when they couldn't find animals to shoot, the brothers would shoot each other. No, 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 hell no, no. Yeah. Like Reggie has a BB in his head because like, like adult Reggie has a BB in his head from this. Well, at the end of the nineties, Reggie had just gotten out of prison being in for like over a year for assault Jonathan had been waiting on him to get back out. You know, they, they're they so freaking close. They're only like three years apart. They are thick as thieves, best friends. And 
they're out at a club and they meet this girl from Wichita and they decide just talking to her like, man, shit's going down in Wichita. Like we gonna go with her. She knows what's up. Like look, we're going to move. So they decide to move to Wichita, Kansas with this nurse, but money's tight. And so the brothers do what they know best and that's to rob people. They had a gun that they had bought when they were in Dodge City. And Wichita had an area that was considered like the more like upscale. And they just equated nice cars, meaning that people had a lot of money. And so they would try to find people with a nice car and then try to force them to go to ATMs to withdraw money. So picture it now. It's early December 2000. Andrew Schreiber, who used to play baseball for Wichita State and actually worked there now, he's a 23-year-old, and he had stopped at a convenience store to load up on some gas. I don't know who loads up on gas, but to fill up his gas tank. At the time, he had a fairly new SUV, and the brothers see this, and they're like, okay, look at this young guy with this... <laughs> did they really? Did they really say... Uh-huh. Look at this young fellow. What, Probably. What the fuck? I would imagine they did. So <laughs> they said, look at this young whippersnapper. Let's uh check him out. So Reggie walks up to him, pulls a gun, and makes him get in his SUV. They make him drive around to different ATMs and clean out his bank account. So Reggie was in Andrew's SUV with him, and Jonathan was driving the car's, well, car behind him. After they had cleaned out his account, they made him drive to this field in the northeast of town. Once they get there, they forced him out of the car, pistol whipped him, and then forced him to kneel down on the ground. I mean, like, in the position as if they're going to execute him. While he's kneeling there, he hears four gunshots. Realizing that he's okay, he hears them drive off. And then when he gets up, he realizes they shot out his four tires. So for some unknown reason, they let him live. So after Reggie and Jonathan had robbed Andrew, they were living their best life. They were hitting up the clubs. They were spending money like crazy, partying, all the things. But four days later, the money ran out. And it was time for them to do what they do best again. Well, I can tell you they don't budget very well. While they're out riding, trying to find their next victim, they see Linda Walenta. She is in her SUV, and she's a 55-year-old woman who is a cellist in the symphony in town, and she's a librarian. She kind of notices somebody's following her, and she's like, is is somebody following me? No, 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 they're not following me. She pulls up in her driveway, and as soon as she does, she hears someone yell for help. And so she kind of sees somebody run up, so she cracks her window just a little bit. And as soon as she does, someone sticks a pistol through the window sideways. As soon as she saw the gun, she tried to drive away as quickly as she could, but they started firing the gun into the car and actually hit her. So she falls forward onto the horn, which is like, so Reggie and Jonathan run because, hello, that's drawing all the attention that they don't need drawn to them. So they're running away. 
the neighbors hear this horn being blown, so they call the police. Well, guess what? At this point, she is paralyzed from the waist down. And she is able to give police a full description of the men who were like what was following her, who came up to the car, tell them every single thing that happened. But three weeks later, she died from her wounds. Do you know how? I my guess is maybe she like went septic or something, but I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Of course, that's what I focus on. Just because, like, three weeks, you know, you think, yeah. like, you're dealing with, okay, I'm paralyzed now, this is my life, and then... Well, there's so much that can whew. go wrong with a spinal cord injury that, like, you just don't even realize. Well, too, depending on the level of the spinal cord injury, there's even things called, like, autonomic dysreflexia, which can happen even if the bladder gets too full or, like, distended, or the the bowels get too full where it causes this extremely high and pretty quick spike in blood pressure that can literally cause a stroke that can kill you, you know, stuff like that. So, or again, depending on how high the level of a spinal cord injury was, what's her breathing like? Did she throw a clot? You know I mean? Like it could literally be anything or just where did the bullet hit? Could it be internal bleeding? You know, I mean, there's so many things that it could have been. Y'all couldn't see my face, but the whole time she was talking, like, my eyes kept getting bigger and bigger (laughs) and, like, oh, shit. Medical shit trips me the fuck out. That's scarier than anything to me. Mm -hmm. Your own body and shit. That's some weird-ass shit, y'all. Then December 14th, 2000, so right at, because the attack on Andrew was the 7th, and then four days later was the attack on Linda, and then the 14th was... The next part I'm about to tell you about. So Reggie and Jonathan were outside of a restaurant, kind of an upscale restaurant, watching people leave, seeing what kind of car they got into. They saw this woman who left this nicer restaurant get into a nice car. And they were like, okay, let's let's follow her. So they follow her and she picks up on it. So before she gets home, she calls her daughter and is like, I think I'm being followed open the garage, I'm going to pull in and then shut it like as soon as you see me pull in so that they can't, they don't know what house I pulled into. And she lived in a triplex. So like a duplex, but you know, which is a, a house that's been cut into two apartments, but this is a triplex. So it's a house that's been cut into three apartments. So she got close to the house, called her daughter, pulled into the garage. And so Reggie and Jonathan didn't know exactly what house she pulled into. Well, they're like, we didn't come this far to give up. So, let's see. This house, this looks right. So, they basically roulette pick a house. Have they not learned anything from following that other lady home, Linda, almost getting caught then from that whole ordeal? Oh, my gosh. And if you say they fucking kill a rando family... Well, inside this house, there was a girl named Holly G. We don't know her last name. She was 25 years old. She was spending the night with her boyfriend, whose house it was that he shared with two other roommates. His name was Jason Befford. He was 26. He was a science teacher and a coach at a local high school. 
and he shared the house with his two best friends, Bradley Heike, who was 27, a financial analyst, and Aaron Sander, 29, who had just decided to enter the priesthood and go into like school for the priesthood. And then there was another girl there named Heather Muller. And something said that like Heather and Aaron were boyfriend and girlfriend, but then Aaron was going into the priesthood and that Heather may go into being a nun. So like, I guess they were like, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but like not really though, because I I mean, I guess you kind of can't be. I want to know what happened in that relationship that they both had to turn to religion. Celibacy. Right? No, not religion. Celibacy. (laughs) Like, damn. Well, so that earlier that night, Holly got there with her little dog, Nikki, a little schnauzer. Oh, gosh. They got there at 830. A little schnauzer. mm -hmm. Jason wasn't there, but the roommates were. And like I said, Heather was there. She had gotten there a little bit after Holly had gotten there. She was 25 as well and was a graduate assistant and worked as a preschool teacher at a local church. Well, at about 9 o'clock, Holly went into the bedroom to grade some papers and just watch some TV. And Jason got home at about 9.15 from coaching a basketball practice. And at 10, they decided to go to bed. Jason turned out all the lights, locked all the doors... Aaron was asleep on the couch in the living room, and Heather was asleep on the second, because it's like a um, like a multi-level, you know. She was asleep on the second ground floor bedroom, and then Bradley was asleep in the room in the basement. Well, right after about 11 o'clock, the porch light came back on. And Jason, who was still awake, was like, wait, what the fuck? And then there's some voices and some shouting. And then all of a sudden, two men break into the house, which, of course, we know is Jonathan and Reggie. As soon as Jonathan and Reggie get into the house, they bring everyone together, of course, by gunpoint, immediately make them all strip down completely naked and put them all into a closet. They start rummaging around through the house. They want they're asking them for like where like for all the money. They just assume that if you live in this part of town, you have a safe with like all this money. So they're asking them like where the safe is and Jason's like we don't have one. What do you like? He's like, I'm a teacher. Are you kidding? I mean, I don't know that he actually said that, but I'm sure he's thinking that he's like thinking I'm a fucking teacher. He's going into the priesthood. I mean, he's a financial analyst, but he's probably broke too. They're all 25 year old college buddies. You know, we live multiple people to a fucking house. Mm -hmm. Like dude, wrong house. We're 25. We're broke. Yeah. She's going into the nunnery and we ain't got done. And she a teacher, too. Yeah. We broke. God. And before she goes in the nunnery, she's the preschool teacher. Yeah. She's the brokest of all of us. Right? I'm going to go into some detail. So if this is too gruesome for you, please feel free to skip forward. After Reggie and Jonathan go through the house to look for this non-existent safe, they bring Heather and Holly out from the closet 
and they force them to perform oral sex and digitally penetrate each other while they gave them instructions on like what to do. After they had enough of that, they sent Heather back into the closet and made Bradley come out and forced Bradley to have sex with Holly. Then they sent Bradley back in and made Jason come out to have sex with Holly. When they realized that Jason was Holly's actual boyfriend, they made him stop and sent him back in and made Aaron come out. Well, Aaron is the one that's going into the priesthood, and he was like, I'm not doing it. And so they pistol whipped him. Then they sent Holly back into the closet and brought out Heather. At that point, Aaron, again, soon to be priest, they were going to force Aaron to rape Heather, and he wasn't able to get an erection. And so They then beat him with a golf club. They then told him he had until 11.54 to get hard. And then they counted down like 11.52, 11.53, 11.54. But then when they got there, they just didn't do anything to him and just took him back to the closet. Then they brought Jason out and forced Jason to have sex with Heather. And then did the same thing, sent Jason back in and then made Brad have sex with Heather. Can you imagine how painful that had to be for, I mean, for everyone involved? Then that's when they ask them about their ATM cards. Reggie then takes each one of them one at a time in Jason's truck, starting with Bradley to ATMs to empty out their accounts. I fucking hate these brothers. I know. So while Reggie is gone with Bradley... Jonathan brought Holly out and raped her himself. Then when they got back from the ATM, Reggie took Jason with him to the ATM. While they were gone, Jonathan brought Heather out and raped her. Oh my gosh. When Reginald and Jason got back, Holly volunteered to go next. Reggie let her put on a sweater because at this i mean they're completely naked keep in mind it's december it is snowing it is i is freezing weather it is there is snow on the ground in kansas cold outside okay so he let her put a sweater on because he liked seeing her with no underwear on oh god so he made her drive the truck to the bank you know what? There needs to be a like a button you could press at an ATM. Mm, yeah. That's like, hey. But if there was, they would know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it would be common knowledge. So, because I thought that too when I was doing this story. I was like, God, there should be a button. But, and but they would be like. sometimes people don't know that. I know. But still, they could be like, I'm watching you. If you press that button, I'm going to shoot you. you yeah. Know? But it might be like. It might be different combinations for different banks. True. Everybody has your, you have your own combination. Yeah. Like if it's like you have to hit enter four times or, you know what I mean? Just rando shit. Or if you, if you do the wrong pin number, like four times, it alerts. Well, you couldn't do that because so many people don't know the damn pin. But if you use a certain pin, it gives you your money so that they don't know. But it alerts them something's wrong. Yeah. Some, you know what I mean? Because so many people do it at ATMs. 
And there's there's nothing you can do. My other thing is, is I thought there was a cap on how much money you could take out. Like, I thought it was like a $300 limit that you could take out every day. No, some people, it's per branch, too. Like, because you, you can take out like 500 at like this branch, can go over there and take out 500 more. Oh, okay. I've had to do that before when like it was closed mm-hmm. and I had to have like cash for something. I don't even fucking know. But uh, but there is a cap on it, which is why when you said they had they took them to different yeah ones, I was like, yeah, that's probably why. Well, see, I always thought like it there, was like a, a like a cap like for the whole like for the day, like you got three hundred dollars for like I'm making that number up, but like three hundred dollars for the day, period, no matter where you withdrew it. There is, I think, like it's just not that low. It's like I don't. I'm just saying a number too, like three thousand. Which is more than I have in my bank account. So, right? Duh. Like, yeah, I that's mean, a would, shit ton of money. Yeah, it would clear me out anyway. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like a cap like that maybe. Like maybe 1500 Yeah. That clear me out too. But <laughs> Reggie and Jonathan would be very disappointed <laughs> if they got right? me. When Reggie and Holly got back from the bank, Reggie raped Holly. And I feel like this was just a little extra control and assertion of power at this point because this time he ejaculated in her mouth yeah then jonathan raped heather again then he raped holly again what the fuck after they got done with that they started looking around the house again for money this time they found a coffee can and inside the coffee can they found an engagement ring. And Jason looks at Holly and said, that's for you. I was going to ask you to marry me. And that's how Holly found out that he was going to propose. Golly. Not long after that, Reggie and Jonathan took all five. I feel like we need to say their names. Heather, Holly, Aaron, Bradley, and Jason all out into this freezing cold weather. I'm talking below 20 degrees cold. Again, December, snow on the ground. They let both of the girls wear a sweater or sweatshirt only. I mean, nothing from the waist down, barefoot, everything. And the men had to be completely naked. At first, they tried to put them all in the trunk of Aaron's Honda Accord. And then they were like, oh, all of these five people aren't going to fit in here. So they made the men get into the trunk. And then Reggie took Holly with him because he had like taken a little liking to her. Like told her, oh, if we would have met under different circumstances, I think we would have liked each other. We have a lot in common. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they got in Jason's truck, which again, I feel like is a little bit of a power play that they took Jason's mm-hmm. truck, her, her boyfriend soon to have been fiancé, that she just found out. Yeah. Then Jonathan drove the Accord with all three of the guys in the trunk and then Heather in the back seat. At this point, they had all been together for three hours. That's a lot less time than I thought. But just think about... Oh, that had to be like five days for them, what it yeah, felt like. Yeah, but it's like... That is a lot of like schlepping back and forth. I mean, like, can you imagine? No, but... With all the shit that you were saying, I was like, how, how long is this? You know, but, oh my God. I mean, don't get me wrong. Three hours is a long fucking time. 
And from their point of view, like a fucking week long ordeal. Yes, yes. But that's shocking to me. It wasn't a very long drive, but they took them to an empty soccer field. Again, there's snow on the ground. They made them all get out of the car. And just like they did with the previous victim, Andrew, they made them all kneel down in a row. They shot Aaron first and then literally just made their way down the line, shooting all five victims. Then, as just an extra measure, because shooting them in the head wasn't enough, they ran over the bodies. Oh my gosh. After Reggie and Jonathan drove away, they went back to the house, loaded Jason's truck with literally everything they could get their grubby little fucking hands on, and then, as a final piece of shit move, killed the dog Nikki. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. But what Reggie and Jonathan didn't know was that Holly wasn't dead. I knew someone had to. I was like, who? Who survived? Because who knew all this information? Because I really feel like the killers wouldn't have told all that information. Well, Holly had a barrette in her hair. Holy shit! And the gunshot, the bullet hit the barrette and like ricocheted off. And so it knocked her unconscious, but it didn't kill her. So not only did she survive a gunshot to the head because of a barrette, they drove over her. She gets up. She looks at Jason laying next to her. Blood is pouring, literally coming out of his eyes. So she takes her sweater off to tie it around his head to try to stop the bleeding. And she looks out and she sees Christmas lights at a distance. She sees a house. So she takes off and she walks 1.25 miles naked in this freezing cold snow-covered field at 2 o'clock in the morning, bangs on this door, and they answer. She had climbed through construction sites, around a pond. She had scratches on her from climbing over briar fences. She banged on that door and pleaded, help me, help me, help me. I have been, sorry, we have all been shot. Three of my friends are dead because at this point, Jason isn't dead yet. When police get there, she is able to give them a description of the attackers, of Jason's truck, the license plate, literally everything. And so they are able to put out a be on the lookout the radio stations, the televisions, everything, everybody knows to be on the lookout for this truck. Well, by 7.30 that morning, police had a report that somebody had seen that missing truck at a downtown apartment. They said that they had seen a black man carrying a TV from that truck up to some apartments. From what I understand, the mother of the girlfriend that Reggie and Jonathan were living with was one of the tip-offs for police like because apparently Reggie and Jonathan like couldn't keep their mouth shut because the girlfriend's mom was like wait y'all are broke like where y'all getting all this shit from you know and they they were like kind of were boasting about Andrew and Linda and I don't know if they had been boasting about the night before but 
the mom had been some of the tip-off as well. But when police found the truck, they start trying to block off the area. When they go to that apartment and Reggie's girlfriend opens the door and they see Reggie trying to slip out a window. Long story short, they end up arresting Jonathan and Reggie and they get charged with like 113 different counts of kidnapping and abuse and murder and all the things. There was a lot of controversy surrounding these trials. Some people tried to get it set as a hate crime, saying that because Reggie and Jonathan were black and the victims were white, that it was a hate crime. But they weren't attacking them because they were white. They were attacking them because they were affluent and they wanted to get their... Well, they they thought they were affluent and they wanted to get their money. It wasn't because... They're white. So they were. It wasn't even, a hate crime. They weren't even targeting them. They were targeting another They're, woman. Right. They were targeting money. Yeah. And it wasn't because they hated it. It's because they wanted it. Mm-hmm. They tried to get Jonathan declared unfit to stand trial. They. I mean, long story short, they ended up being convicted and both sentenced to death. But then, oh God, I was going to say good riddance. But then, in 2014. The Supreme Court overturned their death penalty because there was a bunch of stuff. A bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stuff. There's, you can read all about it if you want to. But one of the things was they said that they should have sentenced them separately for fairness. Like they, like it's just how it goes. They're supposed to be sentenced separately and they weren't. So they overturned it. But then in 2016, in a vote, like to me, this vote is like unprecedented by any Supreme Court, but a vote of eight to one, they reinstated the death penalty for them. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like usually it's like four to three, yeah, you know, or yeah. whatever. No, eight to, well, okay, that's not the right math because that's only seven, but you get the point. Yeah. Five to four. No, eight to one to reinstate the death penalty for their conviction. So they are both living on death row right now. And just a bit of a happy note to come out of it. The first victim, Andrew and Holly, fell in love and got married after Aww. the trial. Oh, I love that. Um, a lot of stuff like kept Andrew's name completely secret. Like a lot of stuff. And then a lot of stuff kept Holly's name like, they would call her H.G. or just only call her Holly. But because they were, like, the surviving victims. Yeah. But it was way easier to find their names than I thought it was going to be. Because a lot of stuff, like, made it a point to, to call her H.G. throughout the whole thing. Yeah. But then it was like, wait, that was so easy to find. I don't know. Yeah. It was kind of weird. How I don't know. So I hate that for them that it's so easy to find them. I don't know. Well, is that even their real names? Yes. Okay. In the there's a um an evil kin about this. And in that they call Holly Monica, but her real name is Holly. Mm. Oh. You know what is I just thought about too? Like, oh, Holly survived and then killed her dog. I know. Like, and that's so stupid that it's like well, if they at least if they killed Nikki and Heather was the one who survived, mm-hmm. it's like it's it wasn't her dog, but like I know. 
oh my God, you know, like Holly survived and it's like. Can you imagine that's how she found out that Jason was going to propose? No, that's, that's so heartbreaking. But also where was the coffee can? Because that is some old school hiding spots. And how did she not find out before? Maybe he was so sweet and made her coffee every morning. Maybe she didn't drink coffee. Maybe. Maybe they had a Keurig. <laughs> well, then I really would be like, wait, why is there a coffee can? Maybe they're really old school and that's where they kept their grease. <laughs> <laughs> that is where my dad keeps his. That's what I'm saying. Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucking sad. I hate this story. The Wichita Massacre. That's what this is called. Like, that's what they, they dubbed this story. Yeah. And you know what I hate more than anything is that it was completely fucking random. They didn't even target them. So random. And that is my biggest fear is that it's like, it wasn't even supposed to be me. You know, like that's, oh, I don't know why that is it. You know, like, I don't know, because it's so hard to pinpoint then because there's nothing in your life that's like, oh, this is this. That's who that was. You know, it's just. But even if there was something in your life, I mean, I know that Criminal Minds isn't like, I mean, I know that's a drama. It's not like, but some of it is based on facts. And so right. it's like, I mean, you've watched that. I mean, some of that is, it's like, well, you have brown hair and you look like their mother's aunt that was mean to them. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, it's like for sure. Some of it, even though you're targeted, it's by no fault of your own or anything you could even control. Yeah. Well, I guess when I say targeted, I mean by someone you know, like in your life or, yeah, with that kind of shit, it's like not linked to you at all in your group. Yeah. And that's what makes it so hard. But that's why The Strangers is so scary to me, that fucking mm -hmm. scary movie. And it's just like, y'all answered the door. But then that makes you not want to enter the door. But then if those people didn't enter the door on Holly, she could have died. So, the, it, you know what I mean? Catch 22. Or she could have been a black-eyed kid. I don't know. But seriously, when you were saying all of the things, I was like, one of them has to survive. Like, maybe they all survived because they didn't kill Andrew. Because I was like, no one. Maybe Israel Keys would go into this much detail about what happened because they don't fucking care. Right. You know what I mean? And so I was like, someone has to survive. Who's going to survive? Who's going to survive? And then you said they ran over them. I was like, no one fucking survived. No one survived. But then Holly did. I figured you'd know because. Well, you said was on some people. So I was like, okay, they, they did. Well, and then she's the only one that didn't have a last name. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Put your murder she wrote skills to use. Did you say Heather had a last name? Yes. Um, I think I was stuck on her being in a nunnery and <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sandy, for the recommendation because this was a really good one. She said it was from her hometown. So Wow. Well, I think this was a good start to hopefully a good year. I mean, a shit start because these were shit stories. But shit it, in a, stories. But in yeah. like a good way. Yeah. In the like true crime and paranormal podcast way of good. Yeah, I never heard of your story. Well, I mean, I had never heard of mine either, but I never heard of your story. Just know, if y'all need help, do not come and knock on my door, because... Uh, come and knock on my door. Yeah, I'm not going to be waiting for you. We're not waiting for you. Like, go somewhere else. When I know the words to the reason of threes are not company two. <laughs> no trademark. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know what we're singing if we did, because I didn't know any of those words. 
That was much better than my rap for uh, uh, Kat's Sinister Sighting intro. That's the damn truth. No one commented on it. I think it people blocked it out of their minds. Or they were like, oh, wait, fast forward, fast, fast forward. They probably are still shooketh. Or they were like, oh, bless her heart. We're just, mm, we'll just let her. Mm-hmm. We're just going to, we're just going to let that lay there. Mm-hmm. It ends with 2020. It's okay. All right. <laughs> new year, new Donna. <laughs> Question mark. Nope. New year, same shit. That's right. As always, we love y'all and we appreciate y'all listening. Thank y'all so much for all your support, both on Patreon and y'all know how much it helps us when you like and review and subscribe and do all those things on all the different podcast platforms. So keep that coming and send in your sinister sightings, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared.